You're listening to the Straight Up Saints Podcast. What is up, Houdat Nation? Welcome back inside another edition of the Straight Up Saints Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, Boot Crew Media, and of course, Maker's Mark. This is kind of the, I want to say the dead period of the NFL season. Like there isn't much of it. But I feel like July, when you're getting ready for training camp, you're just looking around and you're like, yeah, that's really not that much going on outside of like maybe if your team's the Browns because you're waiting for like Deshaun Watson news or um, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Like there really isn't all that much because you're getting ready for kind of what the pinnacle will be, which is training camp and the ramp up period to week one. But I still think there are a couple of things to touch upon, whether it's current news, whether it's projecting forward, or even just kind of looking back at something that maybe didn't get talked about enough. Um, So I'm going to try and kind of get all that into one podcast. So for starters, I'm going to talk about one player that I think is going to potentially have a breakout year or has the potential, I should say, to have a breakout year. going to talk about Marshawn Lattimore, where he ended up ranking in that ESPN poll, because I think that's really interesting the difference between how your peers perceive you and how maybe some fans perceive you. And obviously for Lattimore, he's on the better side of that spectrum. Briefly want to talk about Alvin Kamara and not so much the suspension side of what could happen there, but what will happen if he stays on the field because he has a chance to do some great stuff this year from an individual and organizational standpoint. And then I also want to just talk about the NFC South as a whole heading into training camp because I think there isn't a division that has more question marks than the NFC South, at least in the NFC. I don't think there's a division that has more questions than the South. So for starters, I'll just jump into what I was really thinking about for the last couple of days. Cause I think, you know, when you're constantly just thinking about the saints and what's going on and yeah, that's how my brain works. Unfortunately, just constantly thinking about this team, you try to look at last year's season, what happened, who played well, who didn't play well, how did it end? And then you try to look forward because There are examples where you can kind of pick up where you left off. We've seen it happen before. That's why I always think it's a good thing to finish the season on a positive note. There was one player last year who I thought coming in, a lot of expectations, and he didn't live up to that. And then because he didn't live up to that, anything that he might have done that was a positive, no one really gave enough credit to because it never hit the full level uh, that we expected. Never met it, so we kind of said, all right, put that to the side. And that's Marquez Callaway. And Marquez Callaway, for me, uh, I think he's the type of player who you go into last year, dominates the preseason, and you think, hey, he could be a wide receiver too, maybe a wide receiver one. Like, that's how crazy the talk was getting, especially from the wide receiver two, uh, you know, I'd say spectrum. And he comes in, and he doesn't perform well to start the season. First two games, 14 yards, eight yards. Those are the first two games. And it was really quick to jump off the bandwagon, to talk about what he isn't, as opposed to what he is. And I think context is important in everything in life, but especially for the Saints wide receiver core last year, no Michael Thomas. He's out of the equation. Callaway was really your number one for the whole season. That's never good because he's entering his second year as an undrafted free agent, undrafted rookie, I should say. And he's thrusted into that number one spot when realistically the guys behind him, I'm not going to say are on his level or better because I don't think they're better than him. But they're pretty much on his level, so there isn't much of a separation between your one, your two, and your three because they're really supposed to be your three, your four, your five, or your four, your five, your six, but they're thrusted up to those spots because you didn't have the talent. So what happens? Callaway struggles. Wasn't a lot 
in the beginning of the season outside of the Washington game. I'd say the Washington game early with the Hail Mary and stuff like that. Those were fun moments for him. I think he had two touchdowns in that game. But other than that, there weren't a lot of bright spots. However, like I said before, how do you end the season? I thought Callaway did a really good job with that. You take three out of his last four games, he had 112 receiving yards, 46 receiving yards, 97 receiving yards. And again, this is him doing that as the number one wide receiver. Not the number two, not the number three, number one. Michael Thomas is supposed to come back, but let's say he doesn't even come back, and and he will play this year. I, I really have no doubt about that. But let's say he's not at the full level of Michael Thomas, right? He still would be ranked ahead of Callaway on the depth chart. Jarvis Landry will be ranked ahead of Callaway on the depth chart. Chris Olave will be ranked ahead of him on the depth chart. Callaway will either be your three or your four this season. And I think he's really going to benefit from that for a variety of reasons. For starters, you're not going up against the number one corner. That should help. That should help big time. There's a difference when you face the number one corner as opposed to facing the number three or the number four. Like that changes a whole lot. So if Callaway is going up against lesser competition or people who are on his skill level, that should allow him to create more separation, potentially make more plays. Another thing I've noticed, we got to remember the type of quarterback Jameis Winston is when he's on, right? It's a lot of throws downfield. Um, there are a couple in traffic, but that's not a bad thing per se. Callaway thrives in that regard. That's when Callaway's at his best. I think it's when he's making those leaping contested grabs. That's when I, I kind of see more out of him. Uh, there are moments where Callaway gets a little inconsistent and you get frustrated with it. But if you think about his best plays last year, most of them were downfield. That should help. Another year in a system that hasn't really changed because Pete Carmichael's still running the show. That should help. And then factor in wide receiver coach Cody Burns, who knows Marquez Callaway because of his Tennessee days. That should also help. So I think for the Saints, there's a lot to like there in terms of reasons that Callaway could take that jump. And I know people are going to get caught up in this and be like, are you really falling for that trap again? Why are we going down this road? But I don't say something unless I fully believe it. And I really do believe there's a good chance that Callaway can look better this year. And I don't know if that means his numbers are going to look better because he finished the season with just a a hair under 700 receiving yards. So if you were to have 700 receiving yards again, that's a good number for your wide receiver three or four. That's a great number for your four, by the way. Good number for your three. But it might look different, you know? Like you might not be getting those 14 yards in one game, eight yards in one game, 20 in another. No, maybe it's a little bit more balanced this time around. Maybe it's 40, 50 per game, and that looks better. And I think that's what it comes down to, consistency for Callaway. And I think that's very possible because of the reasons I listed. If you watch what unfolded in minicamp or in OTAs, it seems like there is symmetry with him and Jameis Winston, which is good news on that front. So I just think when you look around and you're talking about, well, we know about Olave and, and Landry and Michael Thomas, like, we know they're supposed to be the guys. Well, which one behind them is going to step up? I know a lot of people gravitate towards Deontay Hardy because of the speed, the shiftiness, and I, obviously I think those are qualities to rave about when you talk about Deontay. But I think Callaway is the guy you look at when you're talking about which wide receiver from that group can kind of branch out and make a, a name for themselves. I, I would say it's Callaway. But I'm curious to know what you guys think about that. Do you guys think that that ship has sailed? Because I, I personally don't. It would just be year three for him. Again, he was an undrafted player. Now you reunite him with a former coach from Tennessee. Another year under his belt in the NFL. Like, I, I think the dots are connecting for Callaway. And don't get me wrong. When I say this, I'm not saying Callaway is going to be some superstar. That's I, I, don't, I don't know if that's ever in the cards for a guy like him. But can he develop into a nice wide receiver? 
I think he can. I really think he can. If Willie Sneed could have developed into a really, really good wide receiver three for the Saints and he was doing it for a good bit, I think Callaway can do the same because I think Callaway is more gifted from an athletic standpoint. So we'll see what happens on that front. But if I had to say one of these wide receivers is going to kind of break out this year, I would say it's going to be Callaway because I have high expectations for Olave. I think Jarvis Landry is going to get back to what we've seen him do. And if Michael Thomas is healthy, he's going to do what Michael Thomas does. But Callaway for me, breakout candidate, I'll say, for now. So now let's shift gears from a player who I think can break out from a player who we already know what they bring to the table, and that's Alvin Kamara. Anytime you talk about Alvin for the next, I don't know, month, you're going to talk about the suspension that's looming. Is it this year? Does it get pushed back? What's going to happen? All that, let's table that talk because we got to wait for the August hearing and what comes out of there. So I'm going to table that for now, but you keep it on the back burner because it's important. What Alvin can do if he is on the field and he's playing most of the season is shatter the record for career touchdown leaders for the Saints. Because right now, Colston's a leader at 72. And Alvin Kamara, who still has a lot of years left in this league, he's at 68. So even if Kamara does miss six games, which by the way, like that that's what Florio threw out. We don't know if that's real, but let's just say he missed six games. I'd imagine in the remaining 11, he can get five touchdowns rather easily. So let's say he plays the full season. You're talking about creating separation. That's it. Like Kamara can pass Colston, who I literally put out a TikTok the other day about how I think he's one of the most underappreciated players in NFL history, not of his generation, NFL history. He can pass Colston and then just run away with it so that record doesn't get touched for a long time or maybe ever. Like that's how good I think that he can be. So I'm really interested to see how that unfolds. Kamara's the type of guy that, you know, you come in at 2017, you create that bond with him as a, whether it's a fan with him, analyst with him, whatever it might be, like it's very easy to get behind Alvin Kamara in terms of the player. And if he can break this record, I think it would be awesome. And I don't know if it's one that will get talked about a lot, but it's just, I tweeted about it last night. It's crazy to see how fast that rise has been for him. Because again, you're talking about a player who's only been in the NFL for five years. And in five years, he's got that many touchdowns. Like it's, it's awfully impressive in my opinion. So I'm really curious to see what, you know, if he's able to break that record, which I, I think he definitely can um, and how quickly he does it. And then once that happens, how much separation are you adding? So the guys behind you who come after you, they're never catching it. That That's something that I'm curious about, but I saw it last night. I figured I'd touch upon it because again, like I said, a little bit of a dead period. So I want to give some credit where it's due. And for Alvin Kamara, Credit where it's due there. I mean, you are right on the doorstep and you're ready to kick the door down uh, and, and really own that record. So let me go switch over to Marshawn Lattimore. ESPN, every year, they put out a poll ranking the top 10 players at the most important positions heading into the upcoming season. And remember, this poll draws a lot of attention. Like a lot of people complain about it. People say, that I don't know if I agree with it. But what you have to understand with this poll is that it's done by league executives, coaches, players. So, like, it's not ESPN's analysts doing this. No, like, it's the league telling you what they think of certain players. So, some of the lists have been terrible. Like, you look at quarterback, Lamar Jackson gets left off the top 10. Don't agree with that. The wide receiver one, don't necessarily agree with that one. But the one that I found really interesting was the cornerback one. And there were mis- there were mistakes with the cornerback one. Like, I don't know how Darius Slate didn't make the top 10 corners list. But 
Marshawn Lattimore ranked second on that list. And that turned a lot of heads. Saints fans, not surprised because you know and like to see Marshawn Lattimore get that recognition. Other people were like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if Lattimore deserves to be ranked second. But I think people forget how good Lattimore was last year. And I think the, the telling sign for how good a cornerback is, there's two things. There's one where you go the interception route, and Trayvon Diggs certainly did that last year. But there was still criticism when that came with it because Trayvon Diggs is such a you know, hit or miss cornerback, right? Big play or giving up a big play. So that's kind of what you live with with him. If you're talking about a true shutdown corner, I think the ringing endorsement of them is not hearing their name over the course of a broadcast other than them maybe getting deflection or intercepting a pass. Not hearing about them means the guy that they're covering isn't doing anything. And there were so many times last year where that was the case for Marshawn Lattimore. You could talk, you could talk about week one with Devontae Adams. You could talk about the Tampa Bay games against Mike Evans doing his thing. So I think for Lattimore, there were so many times last year where we didn't even mention him during that game, and that's because he was playing shutdown football. And that was after he got the contract, which makes you think, hey, it's not one of those, I got the contract, I could chill. It's like, I got to validate my worth, which is what he definitely did last year. And for Lattimore, I think for him, he's never going to be the guy that's going to lead the league in picks. That's just not the type of player he is, and that's fine. But he still had three interceptions last year. He played a physical brand of football. There were games where I thought that was the best version we've seen of Marshawn Lattimore so far. And that, for me, is exciting. Because when he came out rookie year and dominated, you almost were like, okay, how does he top that? And for the next couple of years, you were watching him, and there were flashes of it, but you kept saying the consistency flaws were there and whatnot. Chris Richard comes in, and I don't know if it's a testament to him or maybe – Marshawn just that light just clicked where it's like, hey, I, I just gotta go full all out every game. That's the Lattimore that you're seeing. And clearly the rest of the league sees it too. And when you have players and coaches get pulled and they rank Lattimore second, what they're telling you is he's a type of corner, he's gonna follow you all over the field. And those type of corners drive coaches nuts. Because if a cornerback's gonna stay on one side of the field, whether you like it or not, you can always game plan away from them. Like, that's something that happened with Seattle. Richard Sherman would dominate the right side of the field, let's say, and you knew you'd have to attack the left side. And you could kind of work your way around that issue. It's not great, but you could work your way around it. If Lattimore's traveling around and just neutralizing your best wide receiver, how do you game plan around that? You simply can't because he's taking him out of the game. You didn't account for that. How do you respond? It's kind of tough to do. So to see Lattimore rank second for me, uh, I, I think that tells you Forget about what fans are tweeting and saying about whether or not they think he's overrated or whether or not they think that he, he doesn't deserve to be two. The league is telling you that they think he's the second best cornerback in the game behind only Jalen Ramsey, who everyone pretty much assumes is the best DB. So that speaks volumes about the type of player Lattimore is. And I'll say this about Lattimore before I wrap this up real quick. What makes this so exciting about Marshawn Lattimore is how young he is. He's entering year six. Year six, he's only 26 years old. That just blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. And for reference, the reason I say that is, you can take a guy like Jalen Ramsey, really good corner. He's going to be 28 in October. There is that age gap. So I think for Lattimore, maybe we've seen the best. Maybe the best is yet to come. And if the best is yet to come, does that make him the best corner in the game? We'll see if he takes that step. It's definitely possible. But the fact that he is ranked two, it's good to see that the league thinks highly of Marshawn Lattimore. So training camp is coming up. 
And there's so many questions. Like I have questions about how does Jameis look on that second full year with the Saints? Because the first one was really like a study year. It was a red shirt year. How's that second full year look? Michael Thomas coming back? Stuff like that. Those are questions that we all have. But I look around and I look at the NFC South as a whole. And there are questions everywhere. Every single team in the NFC South has massive questions. And those questions, it varies in terms of how the league looks at it. Like I think fans might draw a lot of attention to one team and not the other. But I look around because everyone talks about the NFC South and it's a foregone, foregone conclusion in their minds that the Bucs will win. I don't Maybe the Bucs should be the favorites. I, I think they should. Uh, just because of the quarterback situation, they have a little bit more clarity with Tom. There is so much uncertainty on that team, just like there is with other teams. And I'll break it down real quick before I kind of head out. Let's take the Bucs. They do have a great quarterback. They do have talented pieces on defense. Devin White, Carlton Davis, uh, um, Levante David, uh, Vita Vea, they have intriguing pieces. And I think Joe Tryon, a, a player like him, he's only going to get better. They have major questions on the coaching staff because Bruce Arians is, is, is gone. And whether or not you like Bruce Arians, his track record's actually pretty good. I think Bruce Arians is the type of coach that thinks he's better than what he is. I, I, that one was on full display, but he is gone. So how does this team Look without him. Now, Leftwich comes in as the full-time, he was always the OC, but now it's really his show. There is no interference. What he says for the offense will go. That's a good test for him. This is a coach who I thought should have got a head coaching job. How does he look now? Does he look even better? Does he solidify the fact that he could be a head coach? Or is it a little bit tough to have that adjustment period without Bruce Arians? As for Todd Bowles, great defensive coordinator. As a head coach, I thought he was okay in New York. A lot of people might say he was bad. I'm telling you from someone who's in New York, he was not bad. He was just okay, but for the Jets, that was never going to cut it. But if you go over the last seven years of Jets football, he's been the best coach they've had. He's been the best coach they've had by a long shot. So Todd Bowles, he comes in that head coaching job. How does he look? Has he gone any better or has he not? And does it really matter? Does Tom Brady have that much say where they're all kind of just playing along? So I'm, I'm curious to see how that works, but those are questions I have. Chris Godwin might not be ready for week one. How does that make them look? More importantly, they lost their starting guards from last season. How the hell does that look for the offense? So there are questions with the Bucs. Are they still the favorites? I'd say if you're being an objective football fan, I think the Buccaneers should be the odds on favorite to win the South as of now because they have the least amount of questions. But that doesn't mean they don't have any questions. And that's why when you look at the South, I think it's important to bring up those things that I did. How do the guards look? How does the coaching staff look? Is Chris Goblin ready to go? Gronkowski's gone. How does that tight end room look without him? And of course, Tom Brady, he is 44. And you always think to yourself, if you're thinking about retiring and one foot's out the door, is it better to make that move? Now, we'll find out real quick if Tom Brady actually wanted to retire if that was Giselle just pulling his leg. Because if he comes out of the gate ripping it and he looks great, it's probably the latter. But if he looks a little slow and doesn't really look like he did last year, which was a really good quarterback. All right, one foot's out of the door is now the time to strike. So there are questions with them. Let's go to Atlanta. Atlanta probably has the most questions out of any team. For starters, is Arthur Smith a good coach? Like that, that's a question that you have to have because we haven't seen it yet. How does the receiver room look? Drake London's going to be leading the charge. No Calvin Ridley. That, that's just not a great room. Russell Gage, he went to the Bucs. That's a loss there. Not a really talented roster, and Marcus Mariota is your quarterback with Desmond Ritter as your backup. That's not the best of situations. So 
I, I have so many questions about them and they might be a team that by December they're in the hunt for top five picks. So that that's just possible. Carolina talking about this with a friend on his podcast yesterday. If you know what the Panthers plan is, please just DM it to me. Cause I have no clue what it is. Cause this is a team that knew they needed a quarterback, went into the draft, waited until the third round to trade a future third round pick and a fourth round pick to get Matt Corral, who probably isn't going to play this year because they already have Sam Darnold and they have PJ Walker. And to throw the cherry on top, they traded for Baker Mayfield, but they only traded a conditional pick for Baker Mayfield, which tells you they're all not that confident in him. And on top of all that, their offensive coordinator called Baker Mayfield a short system quarterback three years ago. So how does that all work into things? And that's just on the offensive side of the ball. And that's not even me touching Matt, the Matt rules subject about whether or not he's an NFL coach, which so far the answer is no. So Carolina, another team, so much uncertainty and so much of it, the two big, biggest spots, quarterback coach, don't know what the hell's going on out there. And then you come to the saints and the saints do have questions. How does Jameis look off the ACL? How does Michael Thomas look off the ankle? But a lot of those type of questions, I don't know if they dictate how much success they will have. Because if Jameis plays the way he did last year, which was, in my opinion, a game manager style football, and if you disagree, that's fine, but that's what he was last year, the Saints can still win games that way because they proved that they did it last year. Five and two while Jameis was playing that style of football. Michael Thomas, if he isn't the same Michael Thomas, okay, thankfully the Saints drafted Chris Olave. Thankfully the Saints signed Jarvis Landry. That will massage that area in terms of how much do you need Michael Thomas? Before those those uh, acquisitions, you needed him to be Michael Thomas, all pro version. Now, you just hope he comes back and gives you something. And anything close to what he was is just excellent. The biggest question for the Saints, and probably the question that determines the most out of anything, is Dennis Allen. Did he learn from his mistakes in Oakland? Is he a different coach now? And if he is, and it's more of the same of what we saw the Bucks game this uh, last season, what we've seen over the course of his second run with New Orleans as a defensive coordinator, that's good news for the Saints. But nonetheless, they have question marks just like any team in the NFC South. And I think that makes it really interesting because you look around with other divisions. I kind of think I know what I get in the NFC East, overrated primetime games. I think I know what I get in the NFC West. It really is right now for me. Rams, Niners, Cardinals, Seahawks are just out of it. And the NFC North, I don't like the Bears. The Lions still are a work in progress. The Vikings are all right. And the Packers, Granted, not as good, still are a playoff team. So the sell for me, questions everywhere. Someone has to rise to the occasion. I think it would be Bucks or Saints if I had a pick out of the two, with the Bucks being the favorite right now. But it just goes to show, like, whatever you might be thinking about the South right now, we have no clue how this division in particular is going to play out because there are so many question marks. But that's what makes this damn NFL season so exciting. Now, training camp, July 27th, that's when it starts. And by then, we'll be able to really just ramp up in terms of not just podcasts, but just content in general, like having so much concrete stuff to talk about, like not having to think about hypotheticals or what's going to happen. And that's a beauty to it. Um, but with that said, I hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, comment on, on any of these sections. Let me know what you think about Marcus Callaway. Do you think this is a breakout year possibility for him? What do you think about Lattimore being ranked second, too high, too low? If it's too low, you are really going for the jugular there. And then let me know about the NFC South. How do you see it shaking up as of right now in early 
July. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast. As always, guys, I thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave some comments on the YouTube page for Brew Media and subscribe if you already have not done that. Great Pelicans content for them coming out throughout the summer league and this offseason. And, of course, more content about college football, betting, all that fun stuff on Boot Crew Media. So make sure to keep it plugged in here with the Straight Up Saints podcast, the destination for the Houdat Nation. You're listening to the Straight Up Saints podcast.